Hello and welcome to the District Administration Podcast. I'm your host, Michelle Dahl Mooney. Today we're talking reflecting on resilience, cultivating a culture of belonging and balance. And we are going to have a compelling conversation highlighting key moments from the career of Dr. David Sheck Snyder, former school principal in St. Charles Parish Schools in Louisiana. Sheck Snyder is executive director of secondary schools in St. Charles Parish and was recently named 2023 Louisiana State Principal of the Year in conversation with Dr. Tim Hudson, Chief Learning Officer at Discovery Education. You will hear inspiring examples of educational leadership that also offer practical insights for school and district leaders in three main areas, belonging and growth, fostering a healthy school culture, and balancing technology with humanity. So without further ado, I am going to hand things off to Dr. Tim Hudson. Thank you so much, Michelle. Uh, as you mentioned, I'm Chief Learning Officer at Discovery Education, where I support partner districts and internal teams as they develop and implement research-based programs, innovative technologies, and effective resources for teachers and students. Uh, before joining Discovery, I spent 10 years in public education as a teacher, uh, high school math teacher, shout out to math teachers, and district administrator. And then also uh, I was at Dreambox Learning, which just joined the Discovery family. So if you're familiar with Dreambox Learning, uh, Dreambox Math, Dreambox Reading, uh, we're part of the Discovery family now. And at Discovery, we prepare learners for tomorrow, by creating innovative classrooms connected to today's world. We provide effective and engaging digital resources that help students and teachers have amazing learning experiences that they can only have with technology. So as Chief Learning Officer, I also have the pleasure of presenting, moderating panels, and hosting conversations with outstanding educators like the conversation we're about to have. So I'd like to uh, also introduce, as Michelle did, uh, Dr. David Schneider who is the executive director of secondary schools in the St. Charles Parish Public Schools. Now, back in July, uh, David was awarded the 2023 Louisiana State Principal of the Year, uh, last July, 2022. <laughs> He's been featured by Education Week, 74, and the NASSP. David's known for his intentional, deliberate, and comprehensive approach to transforming school culture while focusing on student achievement, school climate, student belonging, and teacher engagement, and importantly, teacher retention. It's actually what I did my dissertation on uh, to get my doctorate, teacher retention. So important. Uh, you might have seen David on TikTok, though, because he kind of blows up the internet from time to time. But uh, we are thrilled, David, for you to be joining us today. It is great to be here. I'm looking so forward to this conversation. And, you know, I know we all do what we do for kids. And so to be able to share some of the things we were able to do for kids uh, with a bigger audience is certainly a privilege and an honor. So great to be here. So uh, our conversation is, of course, reflecting on resilience. We're going to start there. We're going to hop right into it. Um, resilience, of course, is by definition, it's, it's a reaction to something. And in this moment, resilience is top of mind for so many educators and communities because of all that we've been through the past couple of years. We've got a global pandemic. We've seen troubling data showing drops in student achievement, exacerbated achievement and opportunity gaps, increases in trauma and SEL needs. Um, and David, for you, near New Orleans, um, <clears throat> did I pronounce that right? New Orleans, how's that? Did I get it? make sure I get that right. Uh, all of this is on top of Hurricane Ida two years ago. So like, let, I mean, you've done a whole lot of things that our, you know, folks who are listening can learn from. What are, what are some ways that you responded to COVID and Ida to support students, staff, and community? So two different situations and two totally different responses from us. So for covid Schools shut down in Louisiana on Friday, March 13th, uh, with very little notice. 
uh, we actually had an early release that day. So we sent our kids home at 11 o'clock. It was a normal thing. We had some faculty, you know, staff development plan for that afternoon. And about an hour later, the governor came on and announced schools were closed indefinitely. So, you know, we were all kind of at school trying to figure out what are our next steps. And we started really reflecting on what is this going to look like? We didn't know how long it would be. People were saying, oh, it'll be a couple of weeks. Some people said it's going to be 18 months. No, nobody really knew. Uh, but we knew that we had to do something. So pretty quickly, we organized surveys to our faculty, staff, students, community. Who has Internet access? Who doesn't? Who has a Chromebook at home? Who doesn't? We tried to have a very systematic and organized response to make sure that our kids who were at home had access to the internet and had a device. Once we had that, and that took us a, a couple of days to really figure out because everybody went home that day, um, we started working through what can we do to provide some type of virtual learning. And this is a middle school with 750 students. So we started creating schedules for our teachers going, hey, can you provide two hours of virtual learning a day? What about an hour of office hours? And so we came up with a school-wide schedule. We started virtual learning school-wide, I think it was nine days after school shut down on March 13th. So we were able to mobilize pretty quickly, but that was really due to the culture that we had on our faculty already, which was, we are gonna do everything possible. If something needs to be done, we wanna do it first, we wanna do it best. So our people jumped right into a really problem-solving solution-oriented idea um, or, or mindset about how to approach it. And our kids, we were able to see that we did not have the learning gaps that some of the other schools in our area had because our response was so quick. Um, but again, that came from just having a culture where everyone is on board, everyone's pulling together, uh, and you don't have many people who are, you know, up anti everything or opposed to it. For Ida, it was a very different response. Our area was hit pretty hard by that, and we were without power at our school for like six weeks. Um, during that time, the people in our community, you know, were, were devastated as well. There were parts of the community that didn't have power. So we had talked about trying to do some type of virtual learning during those eight weeks, but families didn't have access to it. People were trying to put their houses back together. We had faculty who were moving and living with each other. So we took more of a hands-off hands approach during Ida, but we did communicate with families regularly every week with just an update, hey, we don't have power yet. Here's what we are anticipating. Uh, and we put mental health resources out there too. So we made our counselors and our mental health professional available to the community at large. Anyone who just needs to talk to somebody or needs to reach out to somebody, you can reach our counselors this way. If you have a student that's school age that feels like they need to talk to someone or they're dealing with trauma based on what's going on in your life, here's how we're accessible. So it was really more during Ida of giving people space and time to deal with what they had to deal with but we were here if you needed us. And also here's when we think we may be open again. And it took us eight weeks um, to get fully back open. But the day that we opened up again, our cheerleaders came early. We had a pep rally. We celebrated kids as they got off the buses because it was really a, a triumph for a lot of people in our area who didn't know if they were gonna have to move or their house was devastated or they're now living with a relative. And so we really turned it into a celebration and saw those challenges as an opportunity. Um, to welcome everybody back. And, and I'm proud to say that we missed eight weeks of school, but our Louisiana state per school performance score went up that year. And so you know, to, to miss eight weeks of school and to have student achievement still increase is something we're really proud of. But we felt like it was because we stayed engaged with the community. People wanted to come back to our school and then we enhanced on, we built on those opportunities once we got everybody back. But again, it did come from that 
that cultural mindset of we have to do everything we can for every kid every day um, and, and moving forward with that. I mean, uh, that's that's the wildestly quick response to, um, you know, the pandemic that I'd heard about. Three days, everybody had the device. Nine days, you had uh, a schedule already going. And then even those things you had built to support um, and be resilient for a pandemic, it was a whole new set of things. Like you meant two different responses for, for Ida. And you talk about eight weeks. I imagine that's like eight years that you lived in those eight weeks. I, I can't imagine there's so many details in there. And knowing um, sort of how you led as a principal, we're going to hear a few more, you know, a lot, lot more ideas and practical things that, that, that you've done to share. But before we get into that, I want to hear a little bit about um, how you took care of yourself, as all school leaders need to do. It's kind of like uh, on an airplane. You got to put your mask on if you're going to be able to help others first. So um, tell us a little bit about how you practice self-care. You know, our audience is looking for ideas they can use. I'm sure you... Um, figured some things out and tried some things that were effective. Yeah. So that's a, a dance I've tried to perfect over time. Right. Um, it, it started for me when I was writing my dissertation, I was figuring out, you know, how do I spend the time I need to do writing this dissertation, but I also have a wife. I also have two young kids. I'm still working full time at the time I was an assistant principal. And I'm like, wait, wait, how do I manage my time to make all these things happen? Um, and I saw I started looking at the day as kind of like a math problem, right? Like if I needed to sleep for six hours, which six hours was that going to be? Uh, and could I shift some time around? And so I started to practice um, during my dissertation of of working through the night, making a pot of coffee around eight, nine, ten o'clock at night, working through the night, going to sleep at four, waking up at ten on the weekends, and then I really only missed like an hour or two where my wife and kids were up, but I gained so much time that night working. And so I kind of took that approach over when I became a principal. I wasn't working through the night, but man, if I could wake up at maybe three o'clock in the morning, go to work, I'll get a bunch of hours in. I'm only missing time at home where everyone else is sleeping anyway. Um, and so I started to shift my hours around because one of the things that was stressful to me was not being able to be productive. And so I tried to find ways to be more productive, which made things less stressful for me. Um, but I also knew that on the flip side of waking up at three in the morning, I did have to take care of myself and, and find ways to make sure that I kept balance. So on the days when I did that, and I'd pick a couple of days a week to go into work really, really early. But on the days I did that, I made myself leave at a certain time. And when I got home, I put my phone on a charger and I went be 100% connected with my wife and my two kids. So whatever they were doing, that's what I was doing. Um, and that for me helped me find the balance. Yeah, I got up at three o'clock this morning, but now it's six o'clock in the afternoon. I'm going to go sit in bed with my daughter and read a book with her. And then I'm going to go outside and shoot basketball with my son and then take a shower and hang out with my wife a little bit before going to sleep, you know, around nine or 10 o'clock. Um, so I tried to shift the hours around, but the hours that I did have to be home, they were intentional with things that I knew would recharge me. Um, same thing with exercise. You have to find the time to do that if that's one of the things that exer that energizes you. So often, you know, we get into these mindsets where we get home we're like, oh, I need to relax. And you might do something like have a glass of wine and play on your phone, which in the moment feels relaxing to you. But ultimately, those things do not recharge your batteries like you think they do sometimes. They're actually drainers. And then you look up and you go, oh, my God, I spent 90 minutes on TikTok. <laughs> Not, and, and I'm still tired and not energized. So I tried to be right. I tried to be really intentional about how I spent my time. 
Um, and then also I'm, I'm a big believer in mindfulness. You know, I have a couple of different mind, mindfulness apps. Headspace is a, a pretty popular one. Um, and I would take that five or 10 minutes and do some meditation and focus on my breath and focus on my breathing and recenter myself. Um, and, and so I think it's just the intentional practice of making sure I was maximizing my hours and making sure I was being really intentional about things that I know for me, re-energize me, recharge me, uh, and give me purpose. No, that's, I mean, with all these examples you've shared so far from the pandemic to Ida to your own practices right now, uh, I hear that, you know, you ever heard that saying, uh, failing to plan is planning to fail. You have to have a plan. You have to decide what's important and how you're going to make sure you can invest yourself fully in whatever you're doing, whether it's family work, figure out that schedule. I'm glad you started with sleep. I think too often, all of us, especially school leaders, discount that fact. Like if you don't get enough sleep, there are certain things your brain's not going to be able to do like because science, right? And so that exercise, eating right, prioritizing, uh, that's really helpful. Um, the mindfulness, the breathing, don't underestimate the power of that. Schedule time for uh, for what matters or else you're not going to do it. So um, transitioning now back to the school, uh, you know, your motto was be better than yesterday. And uh, I've done some mission and vision work over the years. Sometimes picking a motto can be tricky. People have some strong feelings or whatever. Like, was there an aha moment for developing that motto? Did you consider other things? Like, how, how'd that how'd that go? Because that's part of culture too. How you land on what's going to be your you know guiding motto. So, so as a person, just I, I'm I believe in continuous improvement. I'm a lifelong learner, um, and throughout my education career, the educators that I've encountered who who don't think and feel that way um, aren't always best for kids. And so I tried to think of a way to cultivate in my school the belief that we are always working towards getting better, which doesn't mean you're not doing a good job now, right? You can be great right now, but we, we can also reflect and figure out ways to continuously improve. And so I was trying to find a, a combination of words that led me to the idea of continuous improvement, growth. Um, I'm going to make mistakes. I'm not going to be perfect, but tomorrow's a new opportunity. Tomorrow's a new day. So the gym that I go to on top of the door says stronger than yesterday when you're walking out. And so I would always think about that as I would leave. And there were a couple mornings that just had particularly good workouts. And I'm like, man, I like seeing that every day when I leave because I do feel stronger than I was yesterday, whether I really am or not. I don't know. And I go, how do I translate that into something out of school? So I was like, maybe smarter than yesterday. I'm like, but it's not just about academic growth and being smarter. We want them to grow as people and to grow socially and so I just, I was like better than yesterday. And then I like the action of be better than yesterday. And so in my head as an assistant principal, I'm going, man, when I'm a principal, that's going to be what my motto is for my school, be better than yesterday. Cause it, it relates to everything, you know, and, and some schools, they change their motto every year. Uh, like one year it's about respect. And then the next year it's about belonging. And so then it's like, well, wait, is respect not important anymore? Or we used to talk about this, but we don't anymore. So I wanted it to be something where consistently over time, it could be the same thing and be better than yesterday could apply to anything you wanted to talk about, whatever, whatever area you think it applies to. So when I became the principal, one of the first meetings I had was with our school improvement team. Um, and it was that summer and they were coming up with the motto for the next year and they had a motto selected. Um, I actually, I think it was like um, attitude determines your latitude or something like that because they had been seeing attitude issues with the middle schoolers. Shocker, right? Uh, 
And so I said, well, y'all, uh, that, that sounds like a really good motto. If that's what y'all believe I'm in, I do have an idea that I would just like to kind of pitch and just get some feedback from y'all on. So I shared with them, be better than yesterday. I gave them my rationale. Some of the room went, yeah, I like that one better. And some of the room said, no, I like attitude and latitude. And I said, well, look, let's just let's just do a little confidential vote. So everybody's got paper in front of them. Write your vote down. We'll ball them up, pass them around. We'll, we'll add them up. And whatever the group goes with, I'm with, because, you know, I want to be someone that listens to my faculty and takes feedback. And, and I want this to be our model to be a reflection of us, not just what the principal came in and said. So I'm sweating. We're counting the words and I'm sweating. And I think there were uh, 13 of us in the room and it was 6-6 six, six coming down to the final vote. And uh, the final vote, the, the 13th vote was be better than yesterday. And so everybody embraced it. Um, and man, I'll tell you to this day, I'm no longer the principal there, but that is the motto still at that school. And that was six years ago. And it's on every t-shirt, every wall, all the, every kid wears a band with it. Like it's just, it is truly the culture in that building. And it's just so funny to think back that if there's one vote that's slightly different, maybe it doesn't turn out that way. Um, but I, I feel like it all worked out. But I did want to honor the opinions of the other people in the room. Mm -hmm. um, and, yeah. you know, just I, I got a big wink, wink from the guy up above on that one, I guess. There's a, you know, like that's that's the kind of practical stuff. Folks are like, hey, we changed our model. No, no. Tell me how you did it. You're like, OK, school improvement team. They had something. I pitched it. Confidential vote. Like those details matter because folks are going to look back on that and be like, oh, well, he just came in and did his own thing or, you know, she just wanted to do what she ever wanted to do instead of embracing our community. So very thoughtful. Thanks for those specifics. Um, I mean, I remember what my elementary principal said, and I had the same principal the whole time I was in elementary school. And he was like, don't boo was one of the things. He's like, you should never boo anybody. And then two was vote. He's like, and apparently JFK won by like a thousand votes per precinct, some really small margin. He's like, your vote matters. Always vote. So here it is being reinforced again in your motto work. Um, okay, so next, some more practical kind of details. Uh, you know, having a motto is one thing. You put whatever you want on a t-shirt, it's not going to change culture. So, well, how'd you walk that talk? How did your motto align with the goal of resilience? How did you build school culture to be better than yesterday? It was basically ingrained in everything we did. Um, people probably initially thought I was just like some character that walked around saying, be better than yesterday, because I worked it into... Every sentence, I worked it into every email, I said it in every conversation, um, and that had a trickle-down effect. You know, we have some pretty good communication strategies that, that I think we're going to talk about later, but I embedded it into everything there. And what I did was preloaded language for people for when they got in a tough spot, right? Or even when you're walking in the hallway and you ask somebody, how's it going? They're gonna, they'll say, oh, it's going. Well, you know, that's not, that's not what you want. You know, you want... So I preloaded for them, hey, how's it going? And it became a joke, but it's, hey, I'm just trying to be better than I was yesterday. You know, and so it, it really started just from my approach to things. And, and look, it, it allowed me to model for my teachers how to handle difficult moments or how to handle obstacles and challenges, how to handle getting constructive criticism and constructive feedback, because they would come to me at times and go, look, I don't think this is working. And I would go, well, look, I, I have a responsibility to be better than yesterday, just like everybody else. So tell me what I can do differently. And when you're doing it and your admin team's doing it and the teachers are doing it and doing it with the kids and the kids start saying it and it's on every T-shirt, 
Um, it's on the wristbands that we gave every kid, you know, those rubber wristbands, they wear them and collect them. They all, every single kid got a wristband that said, be better than yesterday on it. When I was communicating with kids, I brought it up all the time. Um, and a lot of it was just the way that we branded it and said it over and over. But you start to say things. And then when you say things over and over, you find opportunities where they apply to real life and it gives you insight. And, you know, it just became really who we are and what we do. And you would have kids at the football game. You know, I'm standing on a sideline, kid gets tackled for a loss and pops up and sees me right there and goes, hey, next play, I'm going to gain some yards. I'm going to be better than yesterday. <laughs> it's like, man, I, I'm appreciative that you're thinking about that right now, but you should pro- probably pay attention to what your coach is telling you, you know. Uh, but it just permeated everything that we did. But it was because we were relentless about it and put it everywhere that we could put it. And our actions followed it. And when our actions followed it, we reminded people this is why we're doing it this way, because this is who we are. And over the course of five years, you stack all that up and it really became a tangible thing. Yeah. I, uh, I've heard it said that uh, the sign of good leadership is people can impersonate you when you're not around. (laughs) It sounds like if you ever have a time machine or you can maybe still do that now, I was thinking you could for like Halloween, you could dress up like uh, Woody from toy story and have like, you pull the string and it's like better (laughs) be better than yesterday. Like there's a snake in my boot. Like that's like, an idea for you. Um, but there's value in that. You know, they say you build culture by saying 10 things 10,000 times, not yeah. 10,000 different things each 10 different times. Yeah. For, for uh, a lot of districts I've worked with, they talk about, okay, let's take stock of our current reality as a starting point for doing any work. But that's embedded in your motto. If somebody's going to be better than yesterday, you have to ask yourself, well, where was I yesterday? It just becomes how you think. And um, you mentioned communication. Let's go. Let's go there between like, I mean, even a sign on the gym is planting some seeds. You got the wristbands, you got the t-shirts. Tell us some other communication structures that you use to drive alignment and impact. So we used, uh, and it's it's a free tool, but we used Google Classroom. I did a Google Classroom post for my faculty every single night at eight o'clock for five years. So a lot of principals like to do weekly newsletters or whatever, and there's just so much that happens in the course of a day that I don't think weekly is frequent enough. So every single night at eight o'clock, they got a push notification to their phone, which had a little opening message from me, along with something that happened that day that was a good thing. Here's the remainder of the week, our calendar. Here's some news and notes. Um, but they saw that every single night at eight o'clock for five years. Um, and I'm not naive. They all didn't read it. But one of them was screenshot and sent it to everybody else in their text groups. But I would embed that language into there. I would find examples of someone who was better than yesterday or something that happened to me where I had to be better than yesterday. And so they got that, that, that language every night for five years. And you start to, to think differently and feel differently when you start to hear those things consistently over time. The most important thing I did as principal was not that, but it was what I did in the mornings. So our teachers sign in for 7.30 every day. At 6.30, I would go stand at the sign-in. And I sat there for an hour every day for five years and talk to every single person as they walked in. And so it was, hey, good morning. How you doing this morning? And then I don't know if you saw Google Classroom last night, but remember today, so they were getting the language from me at night in written format, in the morning in a verbal format while I'm also building relationships with them. Um, and so there's, it was like a cycle of communication that was continuous. So no one ever had an excuse for not knowing what the expectations are not knowing I was supposed to do this and not knowing this was going on that day. 
um, because both ways they got it, every night written, every morning verbal. Um, and, and that was actually the most impactful thing I did as a principal was dedicating that hour of the day every morning to talking to them. You know, most principals will tell you, oh, I have an open door policy. And then someone goes looking for help throughout the course of the day and the principal's door is open and nobody's in there and they can't find help when they need it. Um, and so I, I just wanted to make sure that my faculty had access to me and that they knew no matter what, every morning they were going to have an opportunity with me one on one to talk about whatever it was that was going on. You know, and some mornings I'd be able to ask them, hey, how's that fifth period? I know they've been giving you, you know, a, a, a little bit of a challenge there. Or it might be, hey, did your mom have that procedure? Or it might be, hey, how'd your son's soccer game go the other day? I know you said you had one. And so it just allowed me to build relationships that were purposeful with everybody. And it wasn't contrived. It wasn't, you know, um, forced. It was just a, a very real thing, but it allowed me the messaging too, because they're walking in in the morning and I'm going, hey, look, I know we had that situation yesterday. I'm going to be better than yesterday today. Here's my plan. And I'm telling people this stuff every single morning while they're reading it at night and it became cyclical for them. Um, and, and it was probably the most impactful thing that I did because people just felt like they were part of something and they felt like they mattered to the principal and they knew the principal and they could get help from the principal when they need it. But it was also a way for me to continue to push the messaging, to build the culture, to do that type of stuff. For kids, I did the same thing where I stood in the same spot every morning and greeting them, greeted them, which was a, it's a pretty standard thing that I think most principals do. But every Monday morning, I also made a YouTube video for them that was almost like a new style broadcast. And I would tell them, hey, good morning, Hearst fam. That's what I, that's what I called them. The school was Harry Hearst. Um, Here's what we got going on this week. And I'm running through all the after school activities, all the opportunities for kids, whatever it might be. And then I would find examples from real life of what it was like to be better than yesterday. So it might be an athlete who had an injury and came back from it in some type of triumphant way. And I would insert the clip in there and and kids would all watch it Monday mornings in homeroom with the teachers all at the same time. And it was it allowed me to put some messaging out that way, too. So not only were my teachers telling me be better than yesterday. Not only do I see it every time I turn around a corner, not only is it on the back of the shirt of the kid sitting in front of me in class, not only is it on my wristband when I look down and it's on my wrist, but the principal is telling it to me every day in these videos and showing me real life examples of it and championing that stuff. Um, and so I think the combination of all of those things where I was in constant communication with teachers, kids, their families are watching the YouTube videos because kids are going home and go, mom, my principal's on YouTube. And also, he said, we had a dress down day this Friday. Watch. And so the parents are seeing that. And it was just really a way to, to not only build the culture, but then to promote it and enhance it and expand it and make sure everybody knew about it. So that what I thought our school was about wasn't just exclusive to me. It's what other people thought, too, because of the way that we communicated it. That's I mean, it's it's sort of I think some folks listening are probably having some ahas like it it's that's the work right like uh with schools i've worked with we talk about building relationships which is different than building community you need relationships to build community um but if you just focus only on relationships instead of the broader community you might not you you can't really can't really do it so david uh one of the ideas that you shared that i was super intrigued by the fact that y'all turned your detention room into a meditation room for students i mean what we know about cognitive science the brain really can't learn well under stress. We know detention rooms create stress. You talked earlier about mindfulness and breathing for yourself, and you were taking that to that students. But like, 
that couldn't have been easy, right? To shut down the detention room. Tell us a little bit of specifics about uh, how you made that change and got some got some buy-in from the staff. Yeah, and what's the quote about re- re- insanity is repeating the same thing over and over and expecting a different result? And so I'm I'm going. We have these kids that are going to in-school detention throughout the course of the day. And what is accomplished there? What are we doing? They're missing class time now. I know there are sometimes behaviors you have to address, but there's got to be a more productive way where we address some root causes about why they're getting sent out of class in the first place. So we started really doing some research. We were a mindful school to begin with. Every class period started with 10 to 30 seconds of focused breathing. We trained our teachers on mindfulness. Teachers did that with the students. They're middle school kids. Um, We wanted their feet and their head to be in the same place. So that was a way for them to center themselves. And we also wanted to create a space for them to self-correct. So when they felt themselves getting out of whack a little bit or pushing the line and pushing the boundary a little bit, um, to in a non-punitive way, give them a moment to refocus. So we turned the in-school detention room into a mindfulness room. We had a monitor that stayed in there. We trained her in mindfulness. Kids could request to go to that room. The teacher would buzz and let the monitor in there know they would go to that room. We had comfortable chairs in there, iPads with headphones on them, big comfortable Beats by Dre pot uh, headphones. Um, so kids would put it on. There was an app with directions. They would get into the app, do some mindfulness, do some focused breathing. And then when they felt like they could go back into the classroom, they would tell the monitor, hey, I, I think I'm ready to go back in and try again. And they would go back to class. You know, we saw a dramatic reduction in um, discipline referrals and suspensions and everything, you know, but we gave kids the opportunity and space to try to fix those issues on their own, as opposed to an adult telling you what you have to do differently or a teacher writing a referral or a discipline report on a kid, which sometimes only creates resentment between the two of them. And then the next day you need to repair the relationship. And so we found it as a way to just try to be more proactive and in a more natural way, help kids naturally self-regulate and practice fixing behaviors and practice being present and being mindful. Um, you know, as much as we try to be aware of like digital wellness with them being one-to-one on their Chromebook and when they go home, they're on their phones. We wanted to create space for them to just really be present in a moment. Uh, and we tied that to fixing behavior in the classroom Um, There was some skepticism initially from teachers, and there were our initial guidelines and processes and protocols. Uh, There were some snags in it, and so we had to work through those things. But again, that was part of my approach to being better than yesterday. Hey, we have this idea. You're telling me it's not working. How can I fix it? And then let me go put those next steps into play. And then when people see that you're really willing to walk that walk and to continue to refine your protocols, um, they tend to go along with it. And then it became, again, like everything else, part of the culture and the school because we were resilient and persevered in making sure that it worked and not abandoning it when it didn't initially work. Yeah, there's so much to unpack there about like just under the umbrella of belonging. Like do some kids feel like they belong in detention because they're there so much and some kids don't ever want to be there, but you turned it into a room where, shoot, comfy chairs. It's hard to find a comfy chair in a school sometimes, right? So uh comfy headphones it's the little things and for students to have that self-regulation that's a lifelong skill we're not you know like are we treating the symptoms we're treating the causes are we giving kids things they can use when they're outside of school or is it just like this is how school is so thank you for sharing that idea and i'm thrilled that y'all implemented that's amazing um so we are basically at time and i know david there's so much more that we could uh 
uh, glean from from you. Definitely a well deserved award recognition from the state of Louisiana. Um, and so maybe we'll uh, maybe we'll continue the conversation uh, in a future podcast. But for now, uh, we do need to uh, we do need to wrap it up. So I want to thank you, David. Uh, any closing thoughts? You know, I talk to principals all around the country, and what I tell them is, I am a regular dude, regular person, just like y'all. I just made a commitment to doing everything I could every day for my kids and for my faculty. And over the years, those small things done well, stacked over time, I saw it transform a school um, firsthand. Uh, and so, you know, there's always room for growth and opportunity if you're willing to go out there and take it. Thank you, everyone, for joining us on this discussion today. It's been an enlightening conversation with Dr. David Sheck Snyder, who, no surprise, was uh, the 2023 Louisiana State principle of the year. I mean, you just heard for 30 minutes why that happened. So we want to encourage you to follow Discovery Education on all social media platforms for more thought leadership content. Follow David too. He's on the TikTok. He's on the Twitter. Uh, probably not MySpace. I don't know. <laughs> but please remember that at Discovery Education, we're committed to preparing learners for tomorrow by creating innovative classrooms connected to today's world through engaging digital lessons. And now I will hand it back to Michelle to close things out. Thank you so much. What an amazing conversation. Dr. Tim Hudson, Chief Learning Officer at Discovery Education, and Dr. David Sheck Snyder, Executive Director of Secondary School, St. Charles Parish Schools in Louisiana. And if you're not motivated by that, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what you have to hear to be fired up because I think not only just in the education field, of course, that is our main focus here, but in everything we're doing in life, don't we all want to be better than we were yesterday? So Really appreciate both of you participating and hope you got a lot out of this conversation. I know I sure did. I want to thank you again for joining us. Please check out the many offerings we have at districtadministration.com and then subscribe to the District Administration Podcast to catch our next edition. I'm your host, Michelle Dawn Mooney. Thanks again for joining us. We hope to see you on another podcast soon. Mm -hmm.